they have a rule in their job like do not break character under any circumstances so even though they're like you know holding guns they're like well hey partner uh, what's going on hey there i'm jordan and i'm nick we're just two regular guys who love talking about film and now we'd like to talk to you we decided to break down our discussions into three parts. Because everyone loves a gimmick. We discuss our expectations for a film before we watch it. That's take one. We give our immediate thoughts following the film. That's take two. And finally, we research the film at length to prepare for an informed and in-depth discussion. And that's take three. So if you love film even half as much as we do, join in on the conversation. This is Take Three, a movie podcast. Take one. I have a story to tell because it could save someone's life. I learned recently on a TikTok that when you are signing up for food apps or retail apps or like reward programs to sign up with a fake name, but your name should be the name of the company that you're signing up for. So for example, if I was signing up for like Starbucks rewards program or like their little like money account thing, I would make my name Jordan Starbucks or like Jordan Subway or Jordan Chipotle. That way, if they sell your email and you start getting spam emails, it will address you as whatever name you signed up for. So you can tell like what company it's coming from. I love that. Which is genius. genius. That's so clever. A few weeks ago, I wanted soup because I was feeling a little shitty and I just wanted some warm chicken noodle soup. And there's a noodles and company that's pretty close by to me. And so anytime that I would, I had gone into noodles and company, it was always like going inside. I'd never done the curbside or anything, but because I was feeling sick, I didn't want to like go in and spread anything. So I had to sign up for the app to get it curbside. So I did that and I, you know, signed up as Jordan noodles. So I get there and the woman server comes out and brings me, you know, my bag of food. And she goes, I just want to let you know, our manager put a dessert in here just because she loves that your last name is Noodles. And I was like, oh, gee, thanks. <laughs> Mr. Noodles. That's so nice. Um, Adorable. So I love that story. And it could help you. It's I think it could help you avoid spam and maybe not avoid spam, but, you know, figure out where it's coming from and free food. You could get free food. There's a chance that you get free food. Amen. That's that's the part that appeals to me because I figure yeah. everybody already has my information anyway. But I really <laughs> like the idea of somebody thinking that my name is like Nick McDonald's and being like, your order's <laughs> on me today. Though that has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. I just thought I'd share that little tidbit of knowledge that I've acquired. Yeah, that's okay. We never go off topic on this podcast. I know that this is rare for us. <laughs> so... Today we are talking about a film called Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. Um, I don't know too much about this film, but I do know someone who does know a lot about this film. And his name... It's me. Oh. I don't know a lot about this film. No, his name is not Jordan. <laughs> it's Eric. Eric is our guest this week. Eric Pace is a filmmaker that we interviewed on the podcast a couple months ago for his short film called Classified. We'll link that episode. So if you want to get to know him better, you can certainly check that out as well. But I just instantly loved him and was like, we got to get him back on the podcast. He's the man. So I was like, let's do it. And by the time, I mean, it's been a it's been a very weird summer. But now that we've finally gotten to it, <laughs> it's Eric's turn and we're watching Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. Indeed. And so the one thing that I kind of know about this and something that I actually realized was a little bit of a trend amongst some of the movies that he suggested to us was there's an aspect of filmmaking in this film. And it makes sense because Eric is a fellow filmmaker. So that's pretty cool. And I look forward to hearing how, you know, this movie affects him or at least, you know, what about it interested him. But for me, I know that part and I know that Olivia Cook is in it. And love I her. love her. Olivia Cook is from Thoroughbreds, which we also did an episode on. She's we are big fans of her here. Amazing. R.J. Seiler, who is the blue Power Ranger in the newest Power Rangers movie. He's Billy. Um, and then I don't know who the main guy is. So I'm assuming that Olivia Cook is the dying girl. And cool. R.J. Seiler is the... Earl. Or is Earl. Yes. I don't really know much about this either. I think this was based off of a 
novel, if I'm not mistaken. What was the novel and, called? Uh, I'm pretty sure it was just Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. But yeah, Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl is the title of the book. Oh, okay. So that's where they got the movie name from. Pro- I would assume that's where they got the movie ah, name from. Ah, I like that. Um, I like that. That's interestingly good. Clever. Enough. Uh, but the vibes that I got were very, um, almost like The Fault in Our Stars. And maybe even a little bit of it's kind of a funny story. Like, it just seems like that genre of book turned to movie kind of thing. But I could be way off. I I genuinely have no idea what to expect here. Oh, my God. It didn't even occur to me. Okay, so like when you say Fault in Our Stars, I was like, well, this will be much happier than that because Fault in Our Stars is like super devastating. But the freaking story is called Me, Earl and the Dying Girl. The girl is dying. Fuck. Yes. <laughs> Fuck. Yo, Eric, if you chose this movie that we're just going to all have to like hold each other and cry, <laughs> we're going to have to meet up somewhere and do this take two and three because this is <laughs> fucking with me now. I'm like thinking, okay, I just tell you my experience watching Fault in Our Stars, probably one of four or five men in the theater, me and my brother-in-law both sobbing on either side of my sister who is dead inside. <laughs> no, I don't, I, you know, I think she did actually have like some emotion. It, it, that is a sad ass movie, but I was a freaking mess. She shed one single tear and it was black and that's all. That's, that's all the emotion <laughs> yes. that she shed. And then it, it dried and it turned into a spider and crawled away. Yeah, it crawled away. I read fault in our stars nerd and i've never cried from a book and this one had me like choking on my sobs and that is a reason why i didn't watch the fault in our stars and i don't think i ever will but now i'm realizing i might have hesitations about this movie we will see (laughs) the twist in fault in our stars i know this i know this review is not about fall in our stars but the twist in fault in our stars (laughs) hit me like a ton of bricks. I never saw it coming and I'm so dumb that I didn't, but I never saw it coming. It might, maybe it's not even a twist, just like the reveal. I was gobsmacked and so upset. So if this movie is anything like that, I'm going to be a mess and I'm going to spend take two and three yelling at Eric for suggesting this movie. All this fault in our stars uh, discussion to reveal the fact that we are a bunch of babies and we'll probably cry through this if uh, if the title is accurate to the movie. So absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, I really hope this movie is funny and not just sad. Maybe the girl's not dying. Maybe the title is maybe the girl is just like like she laughs at everything. And so she's always like, oh, my God, I'm dying. Oh, my God. That's probably what it is. That would be a good twist if, like, you thought she had, like, some sort of terminal disease. And she's like, no, I'm just dying at I'm, this joke. <laughs> We're all dying, girl. Absolutely. Well, we are <laughs> really all dying. Yeah, I mean, we didn't have to take it that far. But actually, I <laughs> would kind of feel bad if she probably is actually dying. Like, she probably does have something terminal in this movie. Yeah, we're like making fun of dying people now, Jordan. (laughs) Are you pro-dying? All of our dying listeners are going to be very upset with us. With you. Because I don't support what you're saying. Yeah, well, they won't be upset for long, so. You're going to hell. Day two. So I'm upset. (laughs) First off, uh, we have Eric here. Welcome, Eric, to the podcast once again. Thanks for having me again. No problem. It's our pleasure. So I guess first off, we did our take one and take one. So do your take one of this movie first. Like, how do you remember this movie? When was the first time you watched it? All that crap. I'm trying to remember what how I came across it. I think I think it was one of those things I was vaguely aware of it from like trailers and you know TV spots and things like that. But I think what made me decide, oh, I need to watch this is I was listening to NPR probably while driving to work or something. And I think they had either the director or maybe one of the producers or somebody connected with the movie talking about it and just hearing them discuss it maybe you'll go oh i should uh, definitely see this so i think i borrowed it probably from the library really enjoyed it and uh went out and bought my own copy and i've watched it a few times since then and yeah it's still for me it holds up uh, very well well good i'm glad and so uh Okay, so I have like one ginormous problem with this movie, 
And I guess I'll just go into it then. I don't know. Can I guess what it is? What is it? What do you think it is? I could be wrong, but is it the fact that he advertised that she wasn't going to die the whole movie? Yep. And he lied yeah. to us. That's <laughs> cheating, in my opinion. I was so upset. Like, are you serious right now? Like, he's like, okay, don't worry. She doesn't die. Don't worry. Calm down. It's okay. She's not going to die. <laughs> And then when he said it was that was the last time I ever saw Rachel, I was livid, very upset. So it's either the movie lied or the title lied. Yeah. Oh, we need to correct something really quick. Something that I didn't know until just looking at a poster for this film. This movie is not called Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. It's called Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. And so I'm sure that, I mean, that's... It's semantics, but it is what we have been referring to it uh, throughout take one. I've been making that mistake as yeah. well. I had no idea until this moment. That Me was and Earl well. and the Dying Girl, which <laughs> grammatically is whatever. I don't, you know. Uh, I think without the, I think it rolls off the tongue a lot easier. Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl than Me, and Earl, and the Dying Girl. Exactly. So whoever wrote that, you know, the original author, you're wrong about your own title as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Damn. And I'm sure he's listening to us, <laughs> waiting to see what we think. Another thing that I noticed and I didn't realize because in take one, I also mentioned that, like, I know that Earl is Billy from Power Rangers and I know who Olivia Cook is. She's in several things, but I didn't know who this main guy was. Mm -hmm. He is young Hawkins in Halloween Kills. Oh, okay. So like the old cop that's like, oh, I was there that night. And you actually see it in Halloween Kills. Like that's the first thing they show you is, is you know, a, another version of that evening. Mm -hmm. He plays young Hawkins. And I was like, the more I looked at him, I'm like, he's got to be in something. And so I looked it up and I saw Halloween Kills and I was like, <gasps> so it goes way up in my book. I did not know, because I did not see um, the Power Rangers movie, so I did not know uh, Earl went on to do something else. That's that's cool that he got something kind of big like that. Yeah. Um, were you not a Power Rangers fan when you were younger? I definitely was. However, I have very much fallen off that train. Um, like, I tried to rewatch some of the old Mind Morphin Power Rangers, and I just, it, for me, it was just one of those, like, wow, I this is so cheesy. Like, I, I do not remember it being that cheesy. <laughs> that is so crazy, because we have tried... I know, like, we have tried doing the older Power Rangers, and the only thing keeping us from doing that was that we couldn't find it anywhere streaming. Yeah. Really? And then we were so excited to do the newer one, because when we saw it in theaters, we were like, this is so great. Like, why does everyone mm -hmm. hate this? And then mm -hmm. we watched it again to record it, and we were like, this is not good. This is, like, <laughs> really cheesy. Like, that's so crazy that you just said that, because that's exactly huh. our experience with this but movie, like, too. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, like, from the 90s, yeah. Like, mm -hmm. I'll admit that that is cheesy. But I will say, like, I do think that the Power Rangers movie that came out in, like, 2017 is mm -hmm. a step above that. It's probably, like, the best Power Rangers thing we have other than the original movie, which still has a very large place in my heart. I love that movie so much. I would be interested to rewatch that. I think there was a point in time when that was probably my favorite movie adaptation of a TV show because I grew up on TV. There was the Adam West Batman show, but then the movies were Michael Keaton. And then you know, had the cartoon version of the Ninja Turtles and then the movie version, which was much darker. I was very used to, you know, just TV and movies just feeling very different from each other. And so when I saw the Power Rangers movie as a kid, it was like, wow, this feels just like the movie or just like the show. Exactly. And, you know, not realizing, you know, little kid me realizing why those things are all different. And, and that's, you know, fantastic point. Absolutely. Either one of you want to give your thoughts on me and Earl and the dying girl. I literally just finished it 10 minutes ago. So I'm, I want to go over my notes really quickly, unless you had something you were dying to say. Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to say some negative things just to get them out of the way, but I in no means hated this movie. This is the 2010s twerp teenager complains about being the victim the whole movie trope that I have learned that I really hate. Like Scott Pilgrim did it, Edge of Seventeen did it. There's this whole like list of like 2010s movies where the main character is just like 
woe is me. It just, it kind of irritates me a little bit. And I don't know if it's because this is like one of my biggest fears that like I am this character also and I just don't realize it. Like I, I hope that that's not the case and I just have like repressed insecurities about it or if it's just that like I never really had like a typical high school experience and maybe I'm like jealous of that or something. I don't know what it is. But fuck Greg. I cannot stand him. I think he is a shitty person. I just didn't like him. I I don't think there's anything relatable about him. He didn't really show any means of like redemption after everything went down. Like, I don't think that Rachel dying is going to make that big of an impact on his life. Like, I still think he's going to be this twerpy guy that goes into college just hating life, thinking that everyone hates him. And he never apologized to Rachel before she died. I think that that is... Oh, I just hate him. I can't stand him. I cannot stand him. However, everything else about the movie I absolutely loved. The cinematography was incredible. The compositions were incredible. The music was incredible. And also Olivia Cook, true to nature, stole the movie. Like anything that she's in, she's always the one that shines, I think. And she did an incredible job with this. I did break down and it was when you hear her voiceover saying that she wrote a letter to the college I was like oh shit and then she started reading it and then the waterworks came and uh that was a really sweet moment and when he was exploring her room it was really really sweet as well loved Earl thought he was a lot of fun I like I would watch him in anything like just the character Earl I think was just fantastic Th- those are my thoughts I-, I liked it I really really did I just h- hated Greg when I watch a movie I'll typically go to whatever forums I can like back in the day, the old IMDb message boards and stuff. And I'm not just looking for, you know, oh, more people that felt the same about the movies I did. I want to know what, you know, people who didn't like the movie, what they, you know, didn't like about. And I remember seeing that a few times, uh, the character of Greg being a, a difficult character for some people to get into. I hadn't even thought of the Scott Pilgrim connection, but yeah, it kind of is that same sort of character. And that was one me and my wife rewatched and we are like, oh, I do not remember him being this crappy of a, of a guy. <laughs> he's such a shitty character. He's so, he's such a shitty person. And I don't know if I just need to be taught how to appreciate these kinds of characters because it is certainly, I don't want to call it a trope, but it's a pattern. Like it is a character that exists in several movies, especially in these sort of like high school dramatic movies it's a very apt description as you were as you were saying that i was like yeah i i can see where he's what he's uh, talking about yeah maybe that just comes with watching more of these kinds of characters i don't know but i just didn't like him yeah he doesn't uh he doesn't really bother me i think another common complaint i saw was earl being underdeveloped and whatnot which i can see but even though his name is in the title it's clearly a story about greg and um was it rachel rachel yeah yeah, I, as someone who's gone into, you know, movie making, I definitely see some of it, although I did not make nearly that many films uh, <laughs> when I was a kid because my grandparents did not trust me to let me use their uh, their camcorder unsupervised. <laughs> Otherwise, I probably would have made a ton of movies like that growing up. Yeah, I think that definitely something that I want to go over and take three is just all of the the movies and all of like the, the funny uh, parody names. Because they were really good. They were fantastic. And I had a thought. I know we gave an assignment to the last guest that we had. And I kind of want to, like, if we could come up with, like, two or three each of just parody titles for classic movies, I think that would be a really fun project to do in Take 3. Okay. All right. I would love that. They were fantastic. Like, some of those titles were just hysterical. (laughs) It's going to be hard to stray from, like, porn movie names. (laughs) I have to admit, I'm not good with titles. Cl- uh, classified took me a long time to <laughs> really? come with that title. Yeah, like well, for the longest time, the script said it was it, it was called "Interview with an Alien," like "Interview okay. with a Vampire," and because I was <laughs> oh, like, I like that too, though. I was like, but that's going to be a little too similar. So, well, are you good with puns? I'm good at appreciating puns. Uh, that's okay. It'll be fun to see you guys struggle <laughs> if you suck at it. <laughs> I was hanging out at Slover Library in uh, Norfolk, and I'm just kind of thumbing through things, and I find the book version. It's a, it's a book, but there are some sections of the of the book that are in script format. So I was very actually. I think I will try to um, try to see if I can track down the book and read it before take three, and see how different the movie is from the book. Love That'd it. be awesome. 
a, a very common pattern on this podcast is anytime we do an adaptation, I'm like, yeah, I'll try to read the book beforehand. But if, if <laughs> and I never do. So uh, if you if you can take that responsibility away from me, that'd be great if you can manage it. But uh, and also, if you fail spectacularly and forget about it, then <laughs> you'll just be falling right in line with Jordan. Yep. So it works out yep. perfectly either way. <laughs> I was thinking about uh, they were talking about like how long that they were taking to make this movie, this four months or whatever that it had taken. And I understand, mm-hmm. you know, you're sort of racing the clock with somebody who is dying. But again, at that point, I was like, oh, she's going to be fine. <laughs> um, but when you start watching the movie and it's so much like stop motion animation, I'm like, oh, I totally see how he used that four months. That 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 actually seems quick to me. Like all of that. As someone who has done stop motion animation before, oh my god. But that can take you a very long while. That he wasn't just like being lazy and shit. If he pulled what at least what I saw off in four months, impressive. Way to go. That is one of the best scenes of the movie. Like the music at that point is like, that's when I started crying. When you see, you're seeing the movie and you're hearing the music and Molly Shannon's like running in and panicking and it's just... Yeah, I definitely got it, teary-eyed with that. That, that was very powerful for sure. Uh, another really awesome scene is the scene that doesn't break in the room for like five minutes where it's literally just them on the bed. It's just like a... A stage play when she's telling him that she's stopping the treatment yeah exactly i mean that, that little that scene literally lasts for like five minutes and then there's like one camera movement just to show him leaving but to me when i was thinking about the different cinematography styles and different things it seemed like a director that was in film school having to check boxes like okay you have to do a long take okay you have to do you have to do like handheld you have to do this particular kind of like they were showing off like what they could do with a budget the the shots in the cafeteria with those like wide angles i'm like wow this person is truly just showing you all of the different things that they know how to do and it, it didn't come off as like silly or unnecessary because it is, it is a movie about making movies so i thought that was really cool that the director was kind of like showing off and felt almost film schooly when you have amateur filmmakers being the central focus of the movie obviously i mean you know and the dying girl there's one shot that I do feel is a little uh, overly gimmicky. It's the one where it's like on the side. So, you know, it's following him as he's walking. Yes. That was the one shot that I was kind of like, okay, it feels more like you're just like, you know, I've never seen this shot. Let me see. You know, exactly. Let me do it like, just to do it. Let me do crazy shit. Like I'm checking <laughs> off these boxes. That mm-hmm. is so funny because I watched half this movie on my cell phone. And because, it, you know, it was a movie that I felt like. I could watch on my cell phone. I know, um, you need to see this on IMAX. <laughs> <laughs> I turned my phone, like, instinctually. <laughs> Do you guys remember Quibi? The thing that, like, it came and went. I never used it, but I know I remember so it, yeah. So I paid for Quibi because there were a couple of shows on uh, Quibi that I wanted to see. There was, like, a Most Dangerous Game remake and um something with dane dehan where he was stalking this girl and i was rooting for quibi i watched them portrait mode just because i'm like let me watch a tv show or whatever it was unlike i've ever watched one before we never see portrait mode movies that's like not a thing so i would like more of those because as someone who likes to watch movies on their cell phones i think that would be just so you know you are making david lynch cry right now Talking about watching a movie on your cell phone. <laughs> I, I've seen him in interviews like he gets pissed just thinking about people doing that. It's like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I can put it up to my face like really close. If I'm watching a movie in bed or something like that, my TV is much bigger than my phone, but it's much farther away from me. So it's like if it works for you, it works uh, for me. A important feature with. Uh, any cell phone that I get is either a case that has a little kickstand Absolutely. on my brakes at work. I'm definitely watching like video essays or YouTube or just, you know, random stuff. Yeah, that's very important to me to be able to, you know, watch things. I don't I don't typically watch something in portrait mode. That's just me personally. But but it's just like if you could, it'd be cool mm-hmm. to at least like exercise that option. And that's what I liked about Quibi. Again, I would I mean, <laughs> I'm glad I didn't. But like I totally would have invested in Quibi if I had the money because I <laughs> was like this is so cool but quivy it was so weird because it was 
making content available for people who were on the go and it came out right when we were all told nope you gotta stay put like it came out at the beginning of quarantine so we were like oh okay well i don't need this i'm at home i can watch it on my television oh <laughs> but you can't you couldn't watch quibi on your tv so fucking crazy okay sorry not about quibi i do think about quibi a lot <laughs> uh one thing i want to talk about is uh the acting i think from everyone is really good it has a really good cast, I think. You got uh, Nick Offerman as the as the father, who I was at the time I watched this movie the first time. I think I was either I was either working my way through Parks or Parks and Rec, or I just finished it. So the contrast of those two characters, oh, yeah, very is, different. Very like it's basically him playing Eagleton yeah. on for those yeah. who know the show. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> That, that was a big surprise. I had no idea about him or Connie Britton or Molly Shannon. Or Molly Shannon, yeah. yeah. Molly Shannon was a surprise to me. And she's really good in it, I think. I, I think like just from her first scene, she perfectly gets that character of, of this mom who you know knows what's, you know, what's about to happen and has resigned but is obviously dealing with it. And she just, I think she does a fantastic job. I it's funny because uh, obviously she's known for being, you know, Saturday Night Live cast member and, you know, really wacky roles. But it tends to be for me when I see Molly Shannon, when she's doing more of these, you know, type drama roles, she's really good. In them. Fantastic. What? She, I think she also did a really good, because she's like in this movie just slightly unhinged, which Molly Shannon mm. obviously does so well, like yeah. <laughs> encouraging minors to drink and like really <laughs> aggressively flirting with Greg. Um, mm -hmm. at some points, but like she does it really well. And her role in, was it promising young woman? Yes. If you've not seen that, you should. Cause she, like, she just, these roles that she's super serious in, uh, she does so well. And then she also did, uh, was it normal people? Is that what it was called with, um, Oh my uh, god! It's called Other People. Oh other my people. god! Yeah, highly recommend I that. Forgot too, about if you've not that. Seen it. I forgot she was the mom. That movie will destroy you. Yeah, yeah, and like similar vibes to this movie too. I think uh, like that's a good. It's not a good idea movie. to be Molly Shannon's kid in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> so it was called Other People. Other people, yeah, yeah. Well, who's yeah. the main other lead people? In that? But uh, also, Clemens. promising young woman. Promising young woman yes. is fucking incredible. And then we have an episode on it. It's a really great episode too. So you should watch the movie and listen to that. And them to my watch list. I remember hearing a lot about promising young woman, but uh, other people I don't think I've heard of before this. Me either. I hadn't heard of other people. Jordan told me about it. It's like a smaller film, and it's interesting because it's well. I don't know how you would label the protagonist in in this one. Like, I don't I think he has a reason to feel. Let's cut this out. This so what Jordan is trying to say right now <laughs> is that he identifies with this guy a whole lot. I However, do. the character sucks. He's like an asshole for a lot of the movie. But Jordan an identifies with him. I do. I let, it's it's a weird. This is a weird conversation, and I'm feeling uncomfortable. But uh, you should oh, still let's watch talk it. about pre, pre, uh, promising <laughs> young woman. Promising yeah, young woman is incredible, Eric. You will love it. It's like okay. it, it just just don't watch a trailer. Just go into it blind. So I haven't seen any trailer. So okay, I'll I'll just I'll keep it at and that. Then listen then. to our episode. We had Courtney from We Explain Movies on. And she is like a, a probably the the superest of super fans of that movie that I've ever met. And <laughs> it's contagious when you listen to that episode. All right. Um, another really good uh, performance in there is uh, the teacher uh, played by the Punisher. Oh, my God. <laughs> another like I was like, are you kidding me? How did they get all these people in this movie? Yeah, he. I mean, it's a it's a very small part, but he really makes makes a big impact for you know as you know kind of minor of a role as it is. I really like him in this movie, and like I was the kind of kid that also like ate lunch in a teacher's room. I didn't really like go. I was always like doing something during lunch. So those mm -hmm. kinds of teachers, those relationships that you build with those kinds of teachers who like, obviously they're still your teacher, but like there's a, another level to it, like a more friendly level. So that's part of the reason actually why I picked this movie, because uh, I figured, you know, 
filmmaking, you know, on brand for, you know, last, last episode and, and this one for me, but also on top of that, just the high school angle, like we're all, you know, human beings. So chances are, we're probably all going to have strong opinions about high school and, yeah and that experience. So I try to think what click was I, <laughs> I don't think I was really part of any particular click. I mean, I was friendly with most people, but I definitely wouldn't say I was, you know, a man of all nations or however, uh, however he describes it. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Like it's, sometimes it's hard to fall into like one specific thing, especially if, you know, the things that you're interested in, there's no like established group. Like if there was like a group of film nerds in my high school, I totally would have fallen in with them, but there weren't. There was one semester where uh, the guys that I had lunch with, basically most days it was either, you know, really quiet, just seeing our, our lunches almost in silence, or one of us would get talking about some movie and we would all just uh, be sort of just discussing it or, you know, talking about scenes from it. There was this other girl who was, I think she was like uh, the girlfriend of one of them or something like that. So she kind of was, you know, sort of outsider's perspective, but she'd be like, wow, I feel like I don't need to watch the movies now that yeah. you know, I just listened to, <laughs> Sitting there spoiling to you guys. It. <laughs> I would have gotten up and left if you guys were talking spoilers. <laughs> I am not that kind of person. Oh my goodness. The thing that I relate to most in this movie is that me and my friends did make movies in high school. Pretty much almost every Friday. I have so many projects saved on my computer. I probably should delete some of them just to get rid of evidence. <laughs> no, but don't um, you dare. <laughs> don't you dare. No, I wouldn't. My parents definitely didn't have a whole lot of money to just go out and buy me a camcorder or anything. But uh, in high school, my mom did get me. I don't know if you guys remember seeing the commercials for these back in the day, but... um a digital blue camera. You could either film one minute of good quality, uh, hand quotes, good quality, uh, maybe 240, you know, maybe. Oh my goodness. <laughs> or you could film four minutes of bad quality. Uh, <laughs> I had planned to make like a, a trilogy of movies. The first one was called Space Invaders, you know, basic alien invasion uh, spoof. Did you interview him? <laughs> no, we were shooting them. <laughs> No time for talk. Okay, okay. It's that kind of movie. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> and then uh, the second in this trilogy was a parody of Alien, Predator, and 2001 Space Odyssey, kind of thrown together in a blender. Nice. And then I never technically finished these. Like, I think the first one, there was one shot that was on my parents' computer, and most of the rest of it was on my mom's computer. So transferring footage and all that was difficult. So I had to pick, you know, all right, am I filming it up here or down there? Yeah. And then the third one was going to be a Planet of the Apes uh, parody. Uh. I don't know how that would have worked uh, with the resources I had back then, but that was that was the plan. That's funny. So they only exist as uh, trailers on my YouTube page now. Oh, shit. They're public. Okay, well, <laughs> well, I thought you were really going to say like, oh, and they're gone. And I'm like, well, shit. No, that's cool. Uh, do we have anything else to say about this movie? Like, I, I do. I do have some more things. Like one, I do think it has one of the best cameos ever in a movie. It might be my favorite, like super quick cameo. Uh, Hugh Jackman's cameo. Oh my god! Oh. <laughs> like, I forgot about that. Yes, I laughed so hard when I saw that for the first time, and just like, oh my god, they they actually got him to record you know, this. I am going to get that picture of Hugh Jackman and put it on my wall. <laughs> <laughs> I would say if I had to pick like a favorite genre, I probably would go with spaghetti westerns, uh, which is, I know sounds very strange for me, given, you know, my personality. And I would not have guessed spaghetti western for you. OK, that's how most people are. But I also really, really like slice of life uh, type movies. I like a little bit of the slower pace to it. Yeah. Ultimately, what I care most with movie is being able to emotionally, you know, get into it and this movie definitely fulfills that i think in take one jordan said something like it seemed like it might be something like a john green book turned into a movie like uh, like a fault in our stars or paper downs kind of thing <laughs> it just occurred to me like fault in our stars has like a huge twist in it that like really gets you and it feels deserved and this movie's big twist is a 
fucking lie. <laughs> <laughs> I will never forgive it for that, but I still, I still fucking loved it. Yeah, the the lie doesn't really bother me. I think because you know I'm still able to emotionally connect with it. Also, because I would say you know that's that's the reason to see any movie. I remember when the Godzilla uh, American remake. My favorite part was the beginning with Brian Cranston and you know his and his wife in the in the power plant when he has to close the door on her and everything. Yes, and I'm like that scene is just so so good and i was talking to someone they're like i hate that scene i hate you know i hate the beginning of up i hate these things that you know emotionally devastate me but i'm like i want the movie to rip my heart out and you know that is a good point and speaking of lies that that um that that promotional campaign told us brian cranston was the star of that movie But yeah, I like that it doesn't bother you. And now that I'm thinking about it, I bet a lot doesn't bother you, Eric. You don't seem like a lot bothers you. So uh, another thing that I want you to think about for take three is I want you to write a list down of things that bother you. It doesn't have to be movie related, but we just need to hear about things that bother you. And we'll have a segment called Things That Bother Eric. I'll give you a preview of one thing. Those Liberty Mutual uh, commercials, <laughs> the Limu Emu things. I will, I will immediately click off whatever video I'm watching and or reload it or something. Like that is how much I hate those commercials. I got, I gotta tell you, you're in great company. I work for a marketing firm, not a marketing firm. I work in marketing for an insurance company as well, and uh-huh. we cannot stop talking about how terrible Limu Emu is. Uh, like, it is the worst. It's oh. terrible. We can't we can't stand it either. It's just it's so bad. I feel seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Absolutely 100%. Like it is My wife laughs at how angry I get when those come on. <laughs> You can't escape them. And now they have some guy sitting on a bench, like knitting for his dog or something. It's just like, what? I'm with you. Yeah, that's a very good one. I can't (laughs) wait to hear more. But we have to save that for take three. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, really quick before. uh, I don't know if there's anything else that needs to be said. But before I forget this, we noticed last episode. I noticed last episode that if you type out the acronym for this movie <laughs> so fucking uh, if it was me earl and the dying something girl something that starts with an o old. it would be yeah dying old girl if it was just like adjusted just a little bit it would spell mm-hmm. meat dog m-e-a-t-d-o-g uh i just thought that that was funny aren't you guys glad that you stuck around for this <laughs> <laughs> take three Welcome back, everybody. We are here with Eric and Jordan and Nick, and it's take three time, bitches. Is it Eric and Jordan and the dying Nick, or? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That was clever. I don't know why that did not come to my head when I was just saying that. That was good. I thought that's what you were doing at first. (laughs) Not. I'm not that clever. I thought it was like an off-screen inside joke that you guys had or something. I was like, he's dying, I guess. All right. No, that's... (laughs) It's very clever. I like it. I have just uh, used up all my cleverness as far as the fake movie titles things go, so you guys ought to come up with the rest. <laughs> um, oh, shit. <laughs> Congrats, Kyle. What's up? <laughs> so I found all the ones that they actually talk about in the movie. I thought we had cut that bit from the last one, so I didn't prep any either, but <laughs> okay. I can... I can <laughs> Well, now I'm not going to cut that bit. It'll just be full circle. Since my thing is probably going to take a while, how about I'll go last with my main thing? Okay. Do you want to do your numbers first, Nick? Yeah, sure. This movie didn't have a particularly wide release, it looks like. It made $6.7 million domestic and only 2.5 international. But it definitely is very highly regarded. When it comes to its Rotten Tomato score, it has an 81% with critics, certified fresh, and an 86% with the audience. And the critics' consensus says, beautifully scripted and perfectly cast, Me and Earl and the Dying Girl is a coming-of-age movie with uncommon charm and insight. Yeah, I don't disagree. Strangely named, though. (laughs) (laughs) So you had brought up how it is me and Earl and the dying girl. Mm -hmm. But almost every single 
analysis video or video essay that I saw mm-hmm. on this was they all said me Earl and the dying girl. They never included that and in it. So I don't, I don't feel as bad for getting that wrong. Cause I feel like it's a common mistake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is funny. I truly have never heard it called anything but that. Do you think it's just cause like we were saying earlier, just rolls off the tongue better? I, I do think that taking out the extra and sounds better. You don't use and twice typically, I guess. Right. Okay, let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) And do an eight-part dissection of this title. (laughs) (laughs) So, while I don't think it got any love from the Academy, it did win two major awards at Sundance. It won the Grand Jury Prize and the Audience Award, both for U.S. dramas. Not too shabby. Yeah, definitely. Nice. I've always wanted to go to Sundance. Like, I would love to see what audience doesn't know, you know, anything about this movie goes in and then, you know, the Hugh Jackman poster starts talking. (laughs) I have a few like trivia facts that I found that I thought were really interesting. Apparently they shot any of the scenes that were Greg's house. That is the house that the author of the novel, Jesse Andrews, grew up in. That's awesome. And also to take that a step further, the high school that it was being filmed in was also his high school. During filming, it was closed, I think, to be turned into like condos or something. But while it was closed, they uh, opened it to give them access to film it. I think they said it was built in like 1916 or something. It was like super, super old. I appreciate that because I feel like with a lot of the cinematography in this movie, there was so much packed in one frame at all of the right times. Like it felt so almost busy and claustrophobic at times. And I feel like you could almost smell this high school. It does really feel like a real high school. In yeah. the sense, it doesn't feel like a set. Right, that, exactly. Uh, they would yeah. make. Yep. One thing in particular I, I noticed when I watched it the first time is uh, the lunchroom in there. It's a very long lunchroom, which none of the schools I went to, you know, were they were like that. But that's kind of thing that only because it's so oddly shaped is like, yeah, that's probably a real place because, you know, if you were building a set, you probably wouldn't build it that way. Yeah. That's a very good point. Yeah. It just, it added so much to the film's grit and style, I think. I think it was a really, really great choice. Another fun fact, Andy Warhol, Bill Nunn, and jazz musician Ray Brown also attended this high school. That's awesome. They filmed a scene in which Greg and Earl were shaving Rachel's head for real. Like she actually did that in, in real life. They didn't call for it in the script originally. Like that wasn't one of the terms that the actress who played Rachel needed to do, but uh, Olivia cook really wanted to do it. She wanted to make it as authentic as possible. And they filmed a scene where Earl and Greg like shaved it for her, but unfortunately it didn't make the final cut. I feel like that's definitely that's a big deal. And like, I feel like that could be something that added a lot of emotion to the movie. I know um, Stranger Things, um, Mm -hmm. uh, Millie Bobby Brown. I know when she got her hair shaved for Eleven in the first season, it was like a big thing. They had to really kind of talk her through it. And I think I think the way they were able to help her through was showing her Charlize Theron and uh, Mm. Fury Road Uh. and sort of letting her be like, yeah, see, yeah, I can be badass and, you know, nice without hair and stuff. Wow. I like can't think of Charlie's Throne without or with hair now. Like, I, <laughs> it's so funny because I don't even really like Fury Road, but Furiosa is a defining character for me, for her. What don't you like about Fury Road, if you don't mind my asking? Because uh, I feel like the movie is them going to one place and then they're like, oh, shit. OK, no, we got to turn around. Let's go back. That's all that happened. <laughs> I can't argue that aspect. I'm not like a hater of it, but I just remember sort of being like, really? Apparently, Scorsese was a very big mentor to this director for this movie. They worked very closely together. Apparently, so Alfonso, that was the director of this movie. Alfonso Gomez Rajon. Yeah, he went to NYU because he knew that Scorsese did and actually worked as an intern for him before he got like promoted or Scorsese saw him and like took him under his wing or something. But very often they work together. Like anytime he's working on a new project, he'll bring Scorsese in to like advise and, you know, give critiques and stuff. Holy shit. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting that they work so closely together. And I feel like this guy made two movies or directed two movies and did, just went off to do TV. Mm-hmm. 
he's worked a lot with Ryan Murphy. His first television work was uh, several episodes of Glee. That's right. And then, um, in my opinion, some of my favorite episodes of American, American Horror, Horror Story. Story. He did a lot of Coven. I've only seen Freak Show of that show. Oh, uh, some of the earlier seasons, like, I, I'm now of the opinion that that show only exists to let me down. <laughs> but some of the earlier seasons are really good. Yeah, the earlier ones I can I can agree that... Yeah, they're worth watching. I only watched a freak show because it just it just looked the most interesting. But ooh, you asked me to come up with uh, things that uh, get me angry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay, we're gonna jump into that uh, segment early. <laughs> so, uh, you remember? Uh, oh, what's the fucker's name? Um, the spoiled rich kid and who like is obsessed oh, with d- uh, peanut. Did it start with a D, dandy or something? Dandy. dandy. Yeah. 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 That. Ooh. <laughs> mm. I hated that kid, that guy, that yeah. any like any character in a movie that is really that kind of whiny and they think they're hot shit <laughs> like that combination together. Oh, I, ooh, they better get their comeuppance and it better be spectacular <laughs> with those kind of characters. <laughs> well, Spend, I do remember yeah, him going he, out in a, a very spectacular. Well, you know what? Actually, I remember several of the people that I watched that with being like, oh, we wanted him to have a much more gruesome death because he drowns, right? Yeah, he drowns. And so, yeah, that is one of those things I'm like, yeah, he dies and they do, you know, linger on and all that. But <laughs> I want to see him like skinned to live or something like it. It's Drawn like, and quartered, flayed. Yeah. The amount of like, I was just gripping my seat when he was, <laughs> I said that, that kind of character just, ooh. That is so funny. Eric, I you just said that you haven't seen Coven, but Jordan, I know that you have. I don't know if you recall suddenly in Coven things getting a little bit more experimenty when it came to like weird angles and uh, really wide lenses and like mm-hmm. fish eyes for some reason. And yeah, there were just being a lot of like things that were jarring. And it's like, oh my god, well, guess who directed a lot of those episodes? Huh. The same motherfucker that Makes did this movie. Um, but he also did Seven Wonders and The Magical Delights of Stevie Nicks, which are the two episodes that Stevie Nicks is in. And so that makes me very happy. Nice. I do recall an interview that I read briefly where Ryan Murphy kind of talked about him and said that he's one of the most gentle, kind-hearted people you'll ever meet. He's just so great to have on set. He's such a pleasure to have around. They fucking but, but <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean... Uh, but he said something like he turns into a killer behind the camera. And I was like, ooh. Oh, cool. Yeah. So it's yeah, high praise for this guy. He apparently does a really good job. So, I mean, watching this movie, I'm like, yeah, I hope he goes on to do other things. Yeah. I'd- yeah. I mean, too. Definitely. I have a list of the parody movies that were in the film. And I'm just going to say them because a lot of them are really funny. So. They have the Prunes of Wrath, which is Grapes of Wrath. The Janitor of Oz, which is the Wizard of Oz. There's Scab Face, which is Scarface. Senior Citizen Kane, obviously Citizen Kane. There's Death in Tennis, which is Death in Venice. Raging Bullshit, Raging Bull. Um, instead of M, which I think is fucking hysterical. Grumpy Cul-de-sacs, which is Mean Streets. That is really funny. (laughs) <laughs> gone with my wind instead of gone with the wind <laughs> a sockwork orange which is a clockwork orange i did that with sock puppets i remember seeing that yeah yeah that was funny brew velvet instead of blue velvet eyes wide butt <laughs> so some of these they were uh searching deep within themselves to come up with these titles <laughs> so i uh went to the library and i found a copy and i uh i got the book and i read it uh <laughs> I cannot fucking believe. Well, I do believe it because you seem like a really honest person who would never make a claim that he's going to do something like this. <laughs> I yeah, I admire your your willpower and your dedication. Thank you. Have you ever uh, actually uh, you know read the book like you said, or has it always been I'm going to do that and then never? No, I feel it? like. He read uh, Arrival. We wait to do a lot of movies until I've read the book so that I can watch the adaptation. And those sometimes take a while. But I did read The Shining when we did that. So I don't always do that. Like I do. 
I do read when I have time. <laughs> I'm just teasing you. I truly don't remember the ones you have and haven't done. Well, what's the, uh, I forget what the exact percentage is, but it's like pretty significant uh, amount of people never read another book after they get past high school. Oh, wow. That is crazy. Nick stopped reading in the fifth grade, so that's. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> I, only, I only do picture books for sure. Although I think. I remember I asked my dad, who has a very good job. He's successful, but I don't know that it was because he's like a genius or anything. I asked him what his favorite book was, and he's like, I don't know. I've never read one of those. And I believe him. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. He did tell me that he used to. Like, he told me this when I was in grade school because he knew I would never have the guts to do something like this. He told me that he used to just pick a book that he knew the teacher hadn't read and just make it up. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is very much the exact opposite of how my, my dad was like a big reader and was always trying to get me to read more. And so because he knew I was into movies, he would try to get me to, you know, well, why don't you read the book before you watch the movie? And there are some that I've done that for, but for the most part, I haven't. But for as many books as I've read throughout my lifetime, it is nothing compared to him. And I'm yeah, definitely not, nowhere near as strong of a reader as him. Like, he's one of those who can just knock a book out in, like, a day if, you know, he has nothing to distract him. My mom's like that. I'm so jealous. I wish I had the time to do that. I uh, It kills me that I don't read more or have the time to read more. There's only one book that I've read completely in one sitting. Did you see the movie uh, Tale of Despero? There's a CG animated thing about a mouse with oh, big yeah. ears. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, yes. It's the same author who wrote that. She wrote this other book, The Miraculous Adventures of Edward Tulane, or some, something Adventures of Edward Tulane. It's a very good book, but it's also one of those, like, have tissues on Aww. hand, you know, like, even though it's for kids, like, holy crap, <laughs> it is like Pixar on steroids in terms of <laughs> how much it'll, you know, it'll mess you up. I remember Robert Zemeckis was talking about making it. Oh, my God. Um, though he's very hit or miss yeah. now. Thank you, Eric. Uh, so. He surely <laughs> is. Have you seen the trailer for Pinocchio? I did, yes. Are you excited about that? I am curious. Gotcha. Is how right. I will put it. Like, I will probably watch it. I mean, if nothing else, just because I'm sure Ivy will want to see it. Yeah. And it's on Disney Plus. So. And we're doing the Disney marathon. So we're watching all the Disney movies in order when they were made and stuff. So oh I'm sure she's going to want to. You know, we've watched Pinocchio. So I'm sure she'll want to see the. the Yo, new Pinocchio, version. watching that as an adult, like the cartoon one, it is scary like it is very dark at times it is although oddly enough the thing i was surprised when i rewatched it was and i haven't read uh, the original pinocchio novel but i've talked to other people who have and the funny thing is like while they still do keep lots of dark things in the in the disney version pinocchio kind of needs a kick to the face in the book <laughs> like he he needs goodness punched into him like he, but in the disney version he actually is a pretty decent kid, you know, starts out like he needs some needs some help. But overall, he's a decent kid. I know like the themes and like you, they, he goes off to this island and, you know, misbehaves and gets punished for it. But he has a physical conscience that leads him. So like the, the fact that he still is that shitty uh, is just really funny to me. That'd be an interesting thing to explore. So I'm much more excited about... The Guillermo del Toro version? Yeah. Guillermo's, yes. Yeah, that one I'm actually... Yeah, because one, I love stop motion. And uh, of course, Guillermo del Toro is like, I will at least try anything, you know, from him. Most things of his I like. But, you know, even when I haven't liked a, a movie of his, there's still a lot to like about it. Yes, so and you got to respect the grind, man. He is just... Uh, mm -hmm. But um, that got off topic, <laughs> which never happens on this podcast, obviously. We never do that here. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so I I got the book and uh, the version of the book that I had at the library was it was an edition after uh, the movie had come out. Because in addition to it being the book, it also had this really cool feature, which I've never seen in a book before, where the end had some script pages from the movie with the writer, you know, having with his own little notes about the screenplay. So that's different than from what you had said last time about like part of the book being in script form or is it the book itself, the actual story, there are sections that are in script form. Gotcha. And that, that is true. But then in addition, once you get done with the book, you get to the fin at the end. Um, Cause yeah, it does end with fin. <laughs> and then there's just that little, section which because the author of the book wrote the screenplay for the movie nice 
Very cool. So it's basically him going over a few scenes from the from the movie, basically being like, this is why I changed this. This is my opinion about this or that setup. Really fascinating stuff. It'd be really cool if the more authors did stuff like that. Like, I'd... I would love if it was just Stephen King on all of Stephen King's movies. Oh my God. You just awakened a dream that I didn't know I wanted. Oh my God, yes. That would be incredible. The interesting thing about the book, it is a fairly accurate adaptation, which you would expect since it's the same guy, you know, adapting his own book. But there's also a lot of changes, which you would not expect from an author adapting their own book. Most everything, it proceeds from A to C in most scenes. How it gets to B or, you know, where B is sometimes is a little different. Gotcha. Okay. So, for instance, uh, one of the major things I was like very surprised by Rachel and Greg had a history in the book. Oh. They had actually sort of dated years before. There's a whole section where he's talking about, you know, his romantic conquests and how he sucks at it. And I will say, if you have issues with him in the movie, (laughs) he is very self-loathing, you know, all throughout the book and constantly saying, I don't know why you're reading this. I think, you know, you should burn this book, Uh, you know. (laughs) May not be for you, but, you know. And I've been (laughs) thinking about what what you're saying. I think the reason why his self-loathing doesn't bother me is because it's very much obviously coming from a place of legitimate bad feelings about himself and not out of... For some people who are, you know, kind of do that whole self-loathing thing, you can tell it's really more kind of fishing for compliments or a vanity thing. And I don't get that from Greg. At least I don't. And so I think that's, for me, why that kind of attitude does not bother me as much. That makes sense. There was a girl in his, he was in Hebrew class. All the characters are, their Jewishness is much more pronounced in the book. So he like went to Hebrew school as a kid and there was a girl that he was really into. So he thought, let me try to pretend that I ha- I'm interested in this other girl to kind of make her jealous. And that was Rachel. Oh, and he's such so, a dick. Oh my God. <laughs> so, so basically when she was like, hey, you want to hang out? He always found reasons why he couldn't hang out before they finally just eventually drifted apart and then it's you know through the course of the book that they you know reconnect and everything whereas in the movie i kind of got the sense that they probably were aware of each other in school but didn't really interact at any point but were just kind of like maybe some people would have classes with each other occasionally another thing that i throughout this research this is my last little point and i feel like now is probably a good time to bring it up i really appreciate that it wasn't this story very easily could have gone the way of like being that super tropey thing where he doesn't reveal to her right away that the reason that he's hanging out with her is because his mom told him to. Like that's very clear up front. And I feel like this could be a one, like a perfect opportunity for him to have not revealed that. And then the main conflict comes later when it's revealed that like yeah. his intentions were not his own. And then they fight and then he has to try and convince her that he is in love with her kind of thing. I could definitely see a lot of different, a lot of other people making that movie would do something like that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm so glad that that didn't happen. And it is something that I enjoy about both of their characters because that scene where he's first at her house He's just laying it out. He's like, hey, I I don't want to be here, but like I have to be here. Do you want to do something? And she's like, you really you don't have to do this. It's OK. Just go home. Like they're both on like the same level. Mm-hmm. And then like all of that is just taken care of at the beginning. And I just I really appreciate the story going that way because it, it definitely could have gone the other way. Yeah, that's the thing with the book is because she's very kind of like, why do you want to hang out with me now? You know, when you didn't want to and you had the chance, you know, before. It's just little things like that that kind of change it slightly. And I do overall, I'd say I do think the movie is better. And the author seems to, I think he, he seems to like them both equally, but he does in his notes talk about how he thinks that Rachel is a stronger character in the movie than she is in the book. Wow. Part of that, he says, is because, you know, the book's told from Greg's point of view, so you're getting everything filtered through his perspective, whereas Olivia Cook can just be Rachel and imbue her with a lot more character. But yeah, she definitely, she feels more like a person in in the movie than uh, than she does in the book. That makes sense. One of the criticisms I did see with the, the movie version was that, you know, people kind of felt like Earl was just kind of there. You know, not really any point other than just to have a black friend, you know, just be there and exist. <laughs> For those people who felt that way about the movie, the book does uh, expand on Earl and his situation a bit more. His main thing is that he's very short <laughs> and he's very... Uh, What's the right word? He he. Uh, that's like his trigger thing. If someone, if you call him short, like he's gonna scissor kick you to the face. <laughs> he's got a complex. <laughs> yeah, 
other than that, there's not really a whole lot of differences with him in terms of the scenes that they kept. But like that's always like just an undercurrent in the uh, in the book that you know he can go off at any minute if you mention his height. That's funny. And uh, let's see, Greg. They mention well, Greg mentions a number of times that he is fat. He's you know refers to himself as a really chunky guy. However, there is a line towards the end of the book where Earl says something to the effect of, "Dude, you're not even that fat." So, you know, throughout most of the book, I was actually kind of imagining Greg as, like, uh, the kid from uh, Deadpool 2. <laughs> oh, wow. But then when he said that, I was like, oh, well, okay, maybe it wasn't that big of a change to get the actor that they did. Because there's so many people like that who, you know, are thin like Greg, but still think of themselves as, you know, yeah. really chunky people. In the movie, there's that scene where Earl has told uh, Rachel that they're making a movie for her. She's also, you know, stopping the chemo at the at that time. And so Greg goes to Earl, you know, basically, you know, they have a fight. Earl knocks him out and and everything. In the book, that scene is there. However, after he punches him, he goes down. Then he puts his hand out, helps him up, and they just continue with their friendship from there. Oh, geez. <laughs> oh, gosh. They just needed to get it out of their system. Yeah. Also, uh, Earl does officially retire from making movies with Greg at the end. No. Oh. It implies that he's going to, you know, go off and you know, get a job at uh, Wendy's or something. It doesn't sound that great, but the uh, the dialogue he has, again, it adds a lot of you know kind of depth to his character, kind of acknowledging, yeah, I come from a broken home. I want to help the rest of my family, but I can't help people who aren't going to help themselves or, you know, don't want my help, so I got to just focus on myself. Interesting. Huh. Referring to something you were saying earlier, so the book takes place, I think it's a fictional school, you know, some some random name, but then they were f- able to film in his actual, the author's actual uh, school, because it also has an interview between the author and his editor, and he mentions about how uh, when they got permission to film in the school, you know, it had been decommissioned, and they went there, and on the chalkboards, they still found, like, uh lessons and stuff that you know they had written be- right before they closed and that had just never been erased before they all left oh that's cool <laughs> it kind of feels to me that between the two versions of the story the book feels like a very good first draft of the story and the movie to me kind of just improved upon a lot added you know oh good. gave it a lot more shape and you know i i personally like the movie more well very cool i'm glad that you read the book i feel like I, too, read the book now. It was a pretty breezy read. Uh, I will say also, reading that uh, interview at the end, while the author does say that, you know, oh, you know, Greg's not me or anything, there are a number of mannerisms and, you know, the way he talks. I'm kind of like, I kind of feel like Greg is a little (laughs) bit you. Certainly dialed up to 11, but still. How many pages was it, out of curiosity? I think it was a little under 300. I typically, when I'm doing something like this, I'll typically... Just divide it up to, you know, 50 pages per night. If I'm in the middle of a chapter, just, you know, read to the end of that one. And then nice. now I just need to actually finish Return of the King, which I started a long time ago <laughs> and never got around to finishing. Damn, that's got That's a long book, right? Or how long is Return of the King? Okay, so last page of the actual book book before you get into the appendix, which all oh that is gosh. just appendix. He's clumped like a whole bunch of pages. Um, <laughs> 1,008 pages i was at 800 when i stopped uh, oh you could knock that out in like a week you got that yeah <laughs> back when uh the lord of the rings movies were coming out my dad bought me um fellowship of the ring and said hey i want you to read this before the movie comes out i didn't but i tried <laughs> <laughs> years ago i finally got around to finishing it really appreciated it uh and really actually it helped me appreciate the movie even more the books while they work great as books they would not work great translated verbatim from the book to the to the movies. And so the movies do a great job at knowing, all right, this line works great here, but what if we move it to this later scene and have a different character say it? It would change the context of this line. Or some people end up disliking movies more after they've read the books. But I was like, no, this actually made me like the movies even more. Oh, good. <laughs> you know. It's time for the segment that I know we were all waiting for, which is things that bother Eric. I had a, I had a list of things in my head, and then you started talking, and now, <laughs> now most of it's gone. Even just like maybe one more thing? I'll give one. I think I've mentioned where I worked before. Anyone who, you know, at my job is like, hey, so what, what year is it? 
Oh God! Oh my God! I'm very much over that joke. That joke uh, from the public. So it is I, I will flat out, even if it's a little kid, an adult, you know, I will flat out just tell him, yeah, it's 2022. Nice. <laughs> and then punch him in the face. And then I'll explain to them kindly, like, hey, you know, most of us are actually not playing anyone in particular. It's okay. You can just mm-hmm. ask us whatever question you have, and you know. This isn't that South Park episode in the Frontier Land where they have to stay in character, you know, no matter what. Oh, I've not seen that one. Uh, it's like they, they go to Frontier Land and terrorists come in and basically like the diehard terrorists come in. Oh, my God. Kill them hostage. <laughs> and they have to stay in character. They have a rule in their job, like, do not break character under any <laughs> circumstances. So even though they're like, you know, pulling guns, they're like, well, hey, partner, uh, what's going on? <laughs> That is really funny. Oh my god, that's that really funny. funny. <laughs> well, this was really fun. It was a blast, yes. Yes, thank you uh, for joining us, Eric. Thank you for inviting me. This was great. Now we can start take four, where we <laughs> remake the movie. Oh, I love that! <laughs> hey, this is Eric. Just wanted to thank you guys for listening to another fantastic episode of Take Three. Uh, if you want to hear more from me, you can search for Pace Films Productions. I have a Twitter, which I like to update. You can find me on Letterboxd. And if you want to watch the movie Classified that I was on here promoting the last time, just look for Classified Short Film on YouTube. Again, Pace Films Productions along with that, and you should find it right away. Hope uh, you guys enjoyed this episode, and keep listening to the show because it is fantastic. All right.